Yet cease your ire, you angry stars of heaven. Wind, rain, and thunder, remember, earthly man is but a substance that must yield to you, and I, as fits my nature, do obey you. Alas, the sea hath cast me on the rocks, washed me from shore to shore, and left me breath, nothing to think on but ensuing death. William Shakespeare, Pericles, Act 2, Scene 1 Chapter 1. England, Dad's Dream. April 1975 to June 1976, six to seven years old. Warwick. When we lived in England, my days had a familiar rhythm. Each morning my mother flung open the curtains in my room, and I tugged my school jumper over my head and pulled on my skirt before tumbling downstairs to eat cereal with my younger brother John. After school, we'd play on the swing in our garden or crouch by the stream at its far end to watch dragonflies hovering above the gold-green surface. By the time we were back inside, my father would be home from his work managing Warwick Castle and would often be counting gold Krugerrands on the kitchen table, packing them away ready for his next trip to London. He could make a lot of money buying these when they were cheap and selling them when the price went up, he told us. And the best way to carry them? was in a shoebox, because who would guess that a shoebox was full of gold? Over dinner, my parents would discuss the latest dramas at the Tudor House Hotel that they also owned and ran. Perhaps the chef had thrown a knife at a waitress again, though he never seemed to hit any of them. After that, it would be time to clamber back upstairs, put on my nightdress, find Teddy, my small brown bear, and get into bed. I was used to this rhythm. I liked it and thought it would never change. Then one morning over breakfast, my father announced that we were going to sail around the world. I paused, a spoonful of cornflakes halfway to my mouth. We're going to follow Captain Cook, Dad said. After all, we share the captain's surname, so who better to do it? He picked up his cigarette and leaned back in his seat. Are you joking? I asked. Next to me, John watched Dad, his lips parted. Not at all, said my father, puffing out a cloud of smoke. I'm deadly serious. But why? Well, someone needs to mark the 200th anniversary of Cook's third voyage, don't they, he said, raising his eyebrows at my mother. Of course they do, Gordon, said Mum. She returned his smile, covering her mouth with her hand, making it harder to see the tooth she'd broken while riding John's tricycle at a party a few days before. At the time, my brother had been unhappy that she borrowed his bike. She should have taken yours, he'd said. Though maybe it didn't matter anymore. I've told you kids about the captain, said Dad, stubbing out his cigarette in the ashtray, twisting it back and forth before returning to his coffee. He was an incredible man. The people who were going to recreate his first and second voyages didn't get their act together in time, so this is the last opportunity. Your father has found six people to come with us and contribute to the cost, said Mum. But what will happen to the hotel? Dad turned to look at me. The Tudor house? We'll sell it to buy the boat. We'll have to sell everything to pay for this voyage. It will be worth it, though, won't it, Mary? Of course it will. My father was talking again. How long will we be gone, I asked when he paused. Three years. We'll leave next July, exactly 200 years after Captain Cook. By the time we get back, you'll have seen more places than most people will visit in a lifetime. We'll sail down to South America, 
then cross the Atlantic Ocean to South Africa and Australia. From there, it's on to Hawaii and Russia. The clock was ticking on the wall. I looked out the window at the empty swing. Dad had taken a sailing before, but this was different. But kids, he said, lowering his voice, you must keep the trip secret. I don't want anyone to know about it, particularly the hotel staff. You mustn't even mention it to your friends. Mum looked up. Come on, she said, pushing back her chair. We're going to be late for school. I lingered. Sue, hurry up, she said, heading towards the hall. I followed her out, leaving my father reading the newspaper. I was almost at the car when I turned back, coming to a halt in the kitchen doorway. Dad, I said, can I help sail the boat? I mean, really help if we go. Sure you can. In the run-up to the summer, Dad kept doing his regular jobs during the week, working out how to help the owner of Warwick Castle, Lord Brooke, make more money, organising medieval banquets at the Tudor House Hotel and taking Krugerrands to and from London on the train. During the weekends, he searched for a boat. I've seen big ones, small ones and some so unseaworthy I wouldn't even take them out of harbour, he told me after a few weeks of this, but none are right. On the last day of school before the holidays, our teacher announced that we were going to hear the story of Theseus, who'd gone off on a ship to fight a minotaur in a maze. Why have you chosen a sailing story, I asked, wondering if she knew our secret. Because it's famous, she said. Do you like sailing? Sometimes, when the weather is good. I sat on the floor next to my friend Sarah to listen to the tale, which flowed out of a tape player set on a low cupboard. Theseus promised his father that if he managed to destroy the Minotaur, he would change his boat's black sails to white ones, but on the journey home he forgot to do this. When his father saw the ship returning, still propelled by black canvas, he assumed Theseus had been killed and jumped off a cliff to his death. It was the first story I had ever heard without a happy ending. I held Sarah's hand while waiting for the happily ever after that never came. That summer, there was time to tumble on the grass with Rusty, our golden-haired water spaniel, to spot insects by the stream with John, to swim at our local pool, and to ride Nancy, the chestnut horse I wish was mine, though she really belonged to the riding school. I began to think that Dad had forgotten his plan to sail around the world, but one evening he announced that he'd found a boat. He drew shapes in the air as he described her raised poop deck and square gaff sail. She has little portholes down each side, he said, jabbing holes in his imaginary galleon. A few weeks later, we went down to the Isle of Wight to inspect Dad's find. Mum drove, as she usually did on longer journeys, because my father became sleepy in cars. Their conversation was one I'd heard before. After complaining about the traffic and telling us how lucky we were that we wouldn't have to endure this at sea, Dad launched into a rant about the government's ridiculous tax rate, which we would also be able to escape by sailing away. I spent the ferry ride across the Solent on deck, sitting with my arms around Rusty, looking out at the waves. I love being on the water. I liked feeling the deck move beneath me, tasting the salt in the air, and I didn't get seasick like my mother did. I was looking forward to seeing Dad's new boat, but I also knew that if his dream came true, I would have to leave my old life behind. 
At the boatyard, he marched ahead. You're going to love her, I know you will, he said. John and I followed, kicking stones and chattering, gulls squawking and squabbling overhead. Then Dad said, there she is. And I looked up to see an enormous boat with a long curved bow, two masts and a raised deck at her stern. We ran towards her, our feet pounding on the jetty and balanced across the timber to reach her deck. Behind us, I could hear Mum's voice, I don't like this. And then, more accusingly, you know I hate heights, Gordon. As Dad tried to coax her across the gangplank, John and I raced off to explore, ignoring his warnings to be careful, even though he had a point since there were tools, jutting timbers and bits of metal everywhere. The interior of the boat was unfinished, but bunks and cupboards were already taking shape, half-formed in the gloom. After a while, I went up onto the aft deck to sit next to my father in the cockpit, watching him attach a compass to the binnacle, the wooden instrument stand in front of the ship's wheel. She's called Wave Walker, he said. We were lucky. I was able to buy her because the man who was building her ran out of money. Wave Walker, I said, exploring the edges of the word. This boat would walk us over the waves, carrying us around the world and back again. There's lots of space down below, isn't there, said Dad. Did you see the electric lights? There's even a dressing table in the aft cabin for your mother. Are you excited about our trip? I am, he said. I've always wanted to sail around the world. I was supposed to spend my life hacking out coal in a Yorkshire mine, but here we are, hey? I nodded. Will there be enough bunks down below for all your friends? Ah, he bit his lip. Actually, only four are coming with us now. Two have decided the trip will be too rough. Rough? I narrowed my eyes. Dad shrugged. Some of it will be. We're going to sail across more than 30,000 miles of ocean. And we'll be going the wrong way around the world, beating into the wind. Why don't we go the other way? He checked the compass again. We can't do that because we're following Captain Cook. On his third voyage, he went looking for a way for ships to get from the Pacific Ocean back to Europe around the top of North America. If he'd found a passage, it would have saved other boats a lot of time and he would have won a big prize. And did he? Well, no, said Dad. There isn't a way through, or at least not one that is free of ice. So he turned back when he reached Alaska. But it was an incredible voyage. I sat for a while, watching my father work. Was Captain Cook's boat like this? A little. The resolution was over a hundred feet long, which is about a third longer than Wavewalker. She was also much wider and more than ten times heavier. But we're only going to have our family and a few crew on board, while the resolution carried over a hundred men and lots of animals. I twisted my hands in my lap. I was thinking of Theseus. What colour will our sails be? Dad frowned. Why? White, of course. I smiled, leaning back against the canvas cockpit cover that provided some shade to the benches in front of the binnacle. But there will be a stag on our mainsail, he said. It's the logo of the hotel group Trust House 40 who are sponsoring us. I sat upright again. What colour is the logo? Black and white. Not long after school started again, 
My teacher brought a guest into our classroom. David is going to sing for us, she said. David lowered himself into one of our red plastic chairs, his knees sticking out on either side. He picked up his guitar and played Michael Row the Boat Ashore, while I wondered whether he knew I was going away to sea. Everyone else, however, was about to find out, because that day Mum was talking to our headmaster about it. After school, I ran to meet her when she pulled up outside in her mini. This was easy to spot, thanks to the Disney stickers that John and I had added. Minnie Mouse, resplendent in her red and white polka-dotted dress on the passenger door, and Donald Duck on the boot. I climbed in and squashed my school bag down by my feet. What did the headmaster say? He wasn't helpful, said Mum. He wouldn't even give me your curriculum so I could teach you myself. He said he thought the whole trip was a bad idea. She leaned out the window. Come on, John, hurry up. She turned back to me. It doesn't matter. Your father and I are both trained teachers and I'll find the materials we need. You and John are on the waiting list for a good school you can go to when we get back, so you'll need to work hard. But it won't be a problem. After all, we'll only have two students. John and I dumped our bags in the hall when we got home, while Mum went into the kitchen. Mr Riley said that if they lose more than a year of school, they'll never recover academically, we heard her telling Dad. Well, he's a pompous ass who doesn't know what he's talking about, said my father, and John and I exchanged grins. It's another example of what's so wrong with this country. If Sue and John can read and write and have a good grasp of basic mathematics, they'll be fine until they're older. But has anyone put that theory to a practical test, asked Mum. No, at least not to my knowledge, but I can't think of a better education than sailing around the world. Mum didn't mention our schooling again, so I didn't ask. Instead, I fell back into my usual routine and allowed myself to get swept up in the excitement of Christmas. Dad sailed Wavewalker to St Malo in France for the festivities, while John and I went with Mum on the ferry to meet him. We then spent several days in the city going to restaurants and eating mussels and chips while my parents drank gin and tonics and laughed. By then we'd sold our old house, so that winter we got used to our temporary home, which was in a little building tucked behind the Tudor House Hotel. After school, John and I explored the hotel's secret passages, staircases and priest hole and visited the chef who, despite the tales of his dreadful temper, always welcomed us in letting us perch on his cooking table and teaching us to make pastry flowers.